0: Max.
1: Max. Max. My name is Max. My name is Yuri Lowenthal. My name is Travis Sintel. And you are awaited. You are awaited is a Mad Max Fury Road podcast where Yuri Lowenthal and Travis Sintel and sometime special guest sometimes special guests watch four minutes at a time of Mad Max Fury Road and then we discuss it until hearts bloom, flowers grow, and erections occur. Uh, we have a special guest today. We're gonna wreck so many things this episode. So
2: <laughs> many, so many different things, because this is a guest episode, but it's not a guest episode because our guest was like, "Fuck it, I like, I like the format. I can do this."
1: Yeah, that's and, that's double guesting. And if,
2: and if anyone we're ever gonna get on this show can, it's gonna be this guy.
1: Tell, Ladies tell and us. gentlemen. Welcome, Joe Lynch, <laughs> to the show today. I'll be double guesting today. Yeah. I'll be double fisting, double guesting I won't tell you guys what gesture he just made. It's like because he was skiing. You no, know. oh, this
3: this one's gonna be not safe for work. I like oh, it. No, let's, let's hope not. Uh, well, I don't know. Should we get? Do we need to request the E on? It on comes on all of one? our episodes. That's it great. actually follows it me wherever I go. Like, you the yes. yes. hovering I, E above your head. If we I haven't have used e emoji it before, that yeah, I yeah. I, Or c- I come with uh, what is it? LVS. Um, something, like, what's the what's the like, the like perfect matrix of bad things oh, that can happen right, on TV? Oh, that's right, that pop up oh, on adult the... Adult right, situations, right. Sex, sex, violence. Sex, drugs, nudity, violence, yeah. violence. Yeah. When you see yeah. that, you just yeah. go, it's gonna be a it's good gonna, it's be so good. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be a good episode. For, well, for the, thank you very much for having me, guys. You're welcome. Yeah. For, for, like, for,
2: the, for the two of you who don't know um, who, who Joe Lynch is, here are some things so, so that... So you have three listeners? So we have three listeners,
3: right? Most of
1: them don't know you, Tell my mom who he is. Right?
2: Joe Lynch is many things. He is a... First and foremost, uh, a B movie genre movie fanatic who has who is has, uh, has done what what all of us wish we could and made that his life. Yeah, he is. Uh, for better or worse. For for better or for worse, uh, from uh, from humble and uh, disgusting beginnings with, with trauma, unless I'm mistaken.
3: No, very nope. much not mistaken. Very much one. not
2: mistaken. Outstanding. Um, he has blossomed into a, a director, producer, uh, writer, actor, all the things that you could do. He's done it. I'm
3: qualifying myself for an EGOT eventually. Uh, fair know? enough. If, You're laying the can, groundwork. Um, fair, I'm investing fair in enough. EGOT right and now. And
1: particular to this podcast, I had read your essay about Mad Max Fury Road before I knew Yuri knew you. Oh, really? I yeah. loved it. I thought it yeah. was so great, which we can dig into. But I had oh. I came to you through that essay, which I thought was splendid. Yeah, I, got, I sent
2: I sent it to him oh, to, awesome. to read Thank before you. you were coming in, and he's like, oh, I've read it.
3: Yeah, yeah. I've read it twice. I already knew that yeah. That was great. um Talkhouse film is... Uh, this really great site where they bring great artists together like Stuart Gordon is doing some stuff with them now and he just did an essay on how he was almost going to do American Psycho and how yeah. he had kind of a tete a tete with Brettie Smells. Me, which was he told me He told me that. Story.
2: That's um Joe is also uh, one of very few people who's seen me eat my own dick.
3: Oh, man.
2: Huh. And
1: it is a sight to behold. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of
3: Cinnaboners, <laughs> <laughs>
1: right, right. I don't even know how to uh, follow up that statement. That's, yeah. Uh, um, uh,
3: but look, it's so easy. You just say, eat a dick, Yuri. And, <laughs> right. And, and, and we wait, just, wait, wait, hold on. And there it goes. Like, <laughs> you
2: like that? You like that? It's pretty is impressive. It's
1: amazing, Yuri, to watch you I, do that it was pretty um, impressive. Joe, Joe
2: also has uh, uh, the, the show Holliston, uh, which uh, many of you, uh, many of those, those two of the three of you uh, may have seen. May have seen. Um, and uh, and his own uh, podcast, uh, one of the longest running, I would say. I mean, I don't know. I've, I've never God, actually it's like gone 190 to episodes right
3: 190 episodes. 190 episodes. No, but it's film when you crypt hear with Adam Green, yes, yep, yep. The, right. the the oh the movie crypt or the movie crypt. The yeah, that's, one of those. What did crypts. I say? The film crypt? film crypt? Movie crypt? It's one of those crypts. It's a crypt. It's it filled with Cinnaboners. So it filled, a crypt filled uh, with Cinnaboners. Yeah, we did it as a, a kind of a, a fluke where we were promoting the TV show and we just decided like, let's do 10 weeks where we just kind of do recaps and have people in and stuff. And at the end of it, the uh, Geek Nation said, you guys should keep doing this. We're like, yeah, but who wants to listen to us? And like, about one hundred twenty-five people. One hundred twenty-five people. One hundred twenty-five thousand people are listening right now. So it's like, wow. We'll keep doing that. I think we'll keep going. Yeah. Exactly. And it, it just became a great therapy session in a way. You know, like bringing in people—not just writers and directors and actors and producers, but like everybody who works on a movie. You know, yeah. from caterers to special effects artists so to you know costume designers and agents and executives, like every facet of the movie mm-hmm. production process. And uh, it's been fascinating because we like always have such weird, divergent people. Even like you know, musicians. We've had a ton of musicians on, comic book artists, comedians. It's like everybody's got an art, you know. And everybody's yeah. got a process, and it's amazing to hear so many similarities in those processes. And the thing that I love about it is that it's not an interview. It's just like kind of like this. It's just yeah. hanging out, talking about movies that we love and. Something Swallowing you would penises. do anyway. Right. Well, right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And you happen to be able to be it able to do so It just so happens
3: we, we yeah. we've hooked up these microphones so you can get a peek behind the curtain, so right. to speak. Yeah. You know? right. Yeah. It's a blast.
2: We, we took um when uh my friend uh, John Rocha and I were doing cast of characters over at Geek Nation, mm-hmm. we took that to heart. And when uh you know, when they said we, oh, that's we guys right. we're gonna you have...
3: know the, those old digs.
2: Well, yeah, those old the old digs. Um but uh rather than just having voice actors on to talk about animation video games, we wanted you know, we wanted artists, we wanted designers, we wanted directors, we wanted casting people. We wanted yeah. everybody involved in the process because people, because when you love something, it, it, it excites people, yeah. you know, and you know, and yeah, I think, I think getting to learn about all the different things and not just hearing about it from one angle all the time. Yeah. Is and,
3: and the thing that I've, I've known since making movies, because when you got like, when you're that little kid in Long Island, going like, "I'm full of piss and vinegar," I'm gonna make. Like, I'm full of fucking piss and <laughs> vinegar. Hey, yo, uh, oh, yeah, of course yeah. uh, When you're three, years uh, old, I have yeah. to perpetuate stereotypes uh-huh. here. But when you're a kid and you think you can take on the world, and you just go, "Like, I got a video camera, I got a bunch of friends, let's do this," you know, and go, just get all super eight out, you quickly realize that you it is such a collaborative process. And whether you're making movies, you know, with a bunch of friends, or you go to film school and you are still kind of making movies with a bunch of friends. It's not a full-blown production. But when you get on that set for that first feature of yours and you realize that like you have not nearly met all the people, all your quote-unquote buddies on the set mm-hmm. that day, you realize, very like, at least I did, i got to make sure that all these people know how excited I am because when it was just the four or five of us, we were all bouncing off of each other going, Can you fucking believe this shit? It's, yeah. It totally was that amazing documentary Raiders, you know? Yeah. It's uh-huh. bu- which, which is, I by still the way. Seen. I, I, oh. I, 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 oh. I, I saw
2: you tweet. <laughs> you said it's, so amazing.
3: Best movie of the I, summer. Yeah. Easily the yeah. best movie of the summer. Yeah. And it will remind you of, you know, the collaborative spirit. It'll remind you of, like, why we do the dumbest shit in the world. We put ourselves and other people in danger yep. because of that rush. And when you know that, like, everybody on the set can at least acknowledge that you're having fun mm. and that you're doing like something that you really want to do, it pumps you up. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've Another podcast you. where we
1: watch old movies and talk about them, and we just watched Toxic Avenger last week. Oh! And, and crushing
3: uh, melons with Purgley. The idea,
1: that what you're saying, translates to the screen so aggressively. You just know they're having fun. Yeah, Like, you just can tell. And it reminds you of making movies as a kid, those there's, there's, there's old movies, those B-movies. And, and there's something about that sort of, it's ineffable, you don't know quite what it is, what that mystic ingredient is, mm-hmm. but you know that off-camera they're like, yes, we got it, oh, we did the there, thing! There you is know?
3: nothing better. Like Like, I have this thing on my sets, and I just made two movies in Serbia. So there is a very distinct language barrier. But there were two things that are universal, and they are these. When the director is behind the set, or behind the video village, and you hear, like, giggling. And and it's not just, like, a funny thing that's happening. You're watching the chemistry work. You're watching, like, all of these variant, you know, um, elements or ingredients. The actors, the lighting, the camera, the you know, the the art, the special effect, everything working in symbiosis in that one single moment, whether it's a shot or a frame or a couple, maybe four minutes of something. Yeah. yeah. Uh when you watch all that happen, you can and you love what you do, you get excited. You get the endorphins start rushing. And I'll I'll sit there and go, <laughs> it's like working, it's working. and my DP just sits there and just like shakes his head, he's like, He's a fucking twelve year old. But um, when they know that we definitely got it, I, like I, I don't even say cut. I just go fuck yeah, moving on. <laughs> <Right>. Great, <laughs> great. And, and, yeah. and, yeah. and, like and my first uh, AD, yes. my first AD's yeah. become like like he became attuned to it by the second day. He's like, and we have our first fuck yeah of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and there, like there were really rough days where it's like not like there was one or two days there was no fuck yeah, you sure, know. And, sure, and, and that's just the way it goes. Yeah. But, but that
1: makes the fuck yes more pleasurable when you well, do Well, that's why. Right, you right, have right, to dull yeah. out your fuck yeahs. Yes. You, don't give, don't yeah. you fuck start yes.
3: oversaturating the fuck yes, and then you, know, and then you have f- crews you know, who you never even met before going like, hey, fuck yeah. And you're like, <laughs> I didn't say that today. Yeah. Like, I know those are
2: the only two so
1: English fast. words you know, but. Listen, to, Serbians, yeah, dude, so, Exactly.
3: So.
2: So, so what films, you ask, maybe, might I know uh, Joe, Joe Lynch from? Um, he's directed such films as Wrong Turn 2. Yeah, that's that, well that fun. was sort that's of your first, first. That was, that was your first sort of big break, oh, uh, those were the days. big breakout. Yeah. Um, films, uh, the Nice Bad Aston, as well. Yeah. Which? Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I hey, just, hey, I you know, know, there, there's, there, there's, there, there are two of those films yeah. out there somewhere, um, and uh, uh, Everly, which, which, uh, which you was know. your first film in Serbia. Yes. Which, which I have the uh, the my fa- my, my favorite credit yet. I have dude. I have go, go look the IMDb. I have a lot of credits. I think one of my my favorite in my top ten at the very. Fake Shemp. I got my first fake Shemp credit. If
3: you are a, <laughs> are you a Sam Raimi fan? Uh, was, yes. I okay. Am, yeah. So, do you know about the fake shemping thing that they I, were? I don't. So, do throughout it. history in cinema, or at least the Sam Raimi universe of cinema, which mm-hmm. is where my cinema kind of leans towards, um, when you have five buddies and one camera and you're trying to make a movie that has maybe seven or eight people in the film, you have to come up with other solutions and. These guys came up with this concept called fake shemping, which, if you know Three Stooges, yeah. shemp would constantly be putting on other clothes in the background so that they would have constant movement in the background during like walk and talk scenes. Uh-huh. So shemp's job was to be businessman in one's you know version and go past the frame, and then you take all those clothes off and put on a dress and have a stroller and yeah. be
0: like, the lovely lady walking by with a baby in the yeah. background.
3: But it worked; no one would ever know, you know, unless you were akin to that sort of thing. And they started doing that in their movies, and it would usually be like one of the effects guys, or Scott Spiegel, or one of their you know filmmaker buddies, or Bruce Campbell would be doing it in the background, and it just, again, it was one of those things, and, and we'll talk about it when we get into our four minutes, it's like, when you know a filmmaker's language, you know? They. Everybody has a language, you mm. know, certain words that they use, gesticulations that I'm using wildly li- right now, and my mom would be like, oh, he's doing the classic Joey right now. <laughs> yeah. But everyone's got that. They have their own set of vocal tools, you know, to communicate somewhere. George Miller has a very particular like, language that he uses in all of his movies. Mm. You know, whether it's the rapid-fire, you know, speeding up and step framing of the editing, whether it's, you know, using very wide lenses. Like, when you watch that, you go, George Miller, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Sam Raimi has the same thing, and one of those things was fake shemps. And when you're a filmmaker, there is a point to all this, I swear. Um, when doesn't you're a filmmaker, have to be not on you, this show. <laughs> you start to trade language a little bit, you know? And some people like to call it borrowing or whatever. I like to call it, like uh translating you know because i'll hear a word or a shot so to speak or i'll see a technique used in the movie and if it if it gets me you know giddy or making me want to go fuck yeah then i want to appropriate that in some way you know it's like hearing a guitar lick and being inspired by that and going oh my god that would totally work in my song you're just appropriating language you know filmmakers do it all the time you know some very blatantly like you know like how De Palma did it very blatantly with Hitchcock, that's like the most obvious thing because he kind of just said fuck yeah I am doing that. Mm-hmm. But everybody does it. So one of those things that like if you're a Sam Raimi, you know, student, which like myself, I I totally am like Edgar Wright, like when you have, when you go to make a bowl of cereal and when you think about it, it's door, spoon, bowl, uh-huh. down, yeah. uh-huh. eat. Yeah. You know, like, and everything yep. is this montage yep. of moments. Or like Aronofsky, you know, with his hip-hop montage. It's like, yep. we we saw that, for, like, when we saw, like, Evil Dead or Evil Dead 2. You know, it's like, toolshed. Yep, yep. And some people use it very blatantly. Some people use it, through, you know, there's plenty of moments where inserts become kind of music and notes. And a fake shemp was something that, to me, was part of Sam Raimi's language. And it just, it just always... Was stuck in my head. I'll I'll forever like have that in my head. So we ran into. I think we could talk about this story. Fuck it, right? I, like, I don't know. I've never I've never owned up to it because
2: because I know that there was.
3: I there don't was think, sort of, her, I th- I think there is a rumor. I've always
2: I've always okay. Great. Start with <laughs> there is, is a rumor. rumor. There, there is, is a rumor. Because I was huh? just gonna say. Watch the watch Everly and see where see if you can yeah. find me.
3: So there's this rumor going around that I can confirm. A, I can nor confirm nor deny. But I can state it that it's out there. That when we shot the movie and the movie's about a woman who's stuck in her apartment and her Yakuza boyfriend decides to send all of her like all of his guys after her when he finds out that she's been talking to the cops. Mm-hmm. Um, then did I mention this is a Christmas movie. Of course, um, of course. So in, in a very
2: shame black. Yes. A very shame oh, black in in way. a very
3: shame black sort of way. Like right. again, that's another thing. Translating like shame from black, the best. Translating from what you love the most? There's something about Shane Black movies and how he uses Christmas movies that really excites me. And mm-hmm. knowing that this was basically my Die Hard in a Room and my like for my love for those types of situations in movies, you know, like Assault on Precinct 13 or Rio Bravo or Night of the Living Dead, any of those. Mm-hmm. Um, this is gonna be a long podcast. Hey, you know what? Go, um, um, if you've it.
2: got time, we've got. And t- if you've got, got, time, time. got time, all right.
3: Okay, right. I swear, we'll we'll make this short. Um, so long story short. So the the movie has a lot of Japanese actors in it, and they're all amazing. Um, and we have this uh, this one actor. Um, his name is uh, Hiroyuki Watanabe. Um, and he, great, amazing great actor, actor, such gravitas. He was so he was so perfect for the role. And you know the the one issue that we had with him though was that when he got to set, like we we moved so fast on this movie that we didn't have time to like hold off until we had our bad guy. Once we had like enough pieces in place, go, we got to move, we got to shoot. Like someone's got a very, you know, small window of opportunity that we have to exploit. So we got to move. I'm like, all right, well, when are we going to cast the bad guy? He's like, well, we don't shoot him until the end. So we have up until then to, to do that. I'm like, Hey, whatever, you know, whatever makes it work. So In the time between when we started shooting and like literally like a week before we shot, we were on this furious like quest to find our bad guy. And and someone who had both gravitas and charm. It wasn't just a a, a, an atypical mustache twiddling villain, Mm -hmm. you know, someone who you could almost believe that this woman could have fallen in love with at some point, yet could be despicable enough to put this poor person through Hell in a hand Yeah, basket.
2: watch the movie to see exactly how it's it is. Now. It's on Netflix now. You can stream oh, it. And, okay, yes, excellent, it's, it's, excellent, It just
3: came out on Netflix. i do so, so. a
1: special episode, maybe. <laughs> you <laughs> might need it. Uh, yeah. We might but, have to. Yeah, that'd be uh,
3: you know what you should do? Is hit it on fast forward so that the entire film goes by in four, four minutes. Four minutes?
1: Okay, great. <laughs> we'll cram it in.
3: <laughs> Hello, high water. We'll make our format work. That, Damn it, right. Yuri. See, I'm all about creating format, Love making it. lemonade out of four-minute formats. So long story short, we... We looked far, far and wide, high and, high and wide for this actor. Couldn't find him anywhere. And he had, like, at some point it had to be like, there was the, well, does he have to be Japanese? I'm like, well, we've already shot and it's, it's these Japanese characters. <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden it can't be fucking Paul Giamatti walking through the door. <laughs> you know. It's going to be a little weird. you know, Or Lorenzo Lamas or, or you know, Christopher Lambert. I'm no, a no, no. Yakuza
2: boss.
1: It
3: would be sad. <laughs> Actually. Damn it! I, I should have made it. that choice. Paul Giamatti. Uh, at one point we had, oh god, <laughs> ah fuck it. Um, at one point I got a call and like, oh, we got the actor. He was perfect. Do you remember Karate Kid Part Two? I'm like, yeah. Okay. Do you remember the like bully guy from that one who was in Okinawa? Who's like the good looking okay. Asian oh, yeah. guy? Who was like, you, it, you know, yeah, yeah. You,
0: you remember, yeah, totally that guy. I remember that
3: guy? Yeah. So he's like, he's available. I'm like, oh, cool. Let me. So. He was in Seattle. I was in Serbia. I had to call at, like four in the morning to this guy. The only time he could do it was in the morning. So I call him up and I hear this like sizzling in the background. I'm like, "What the fuck's going on?" And I'm like, "Hey, how's it going?" I'm sitting there like geeking out, talking to him, and he, he's a super nice guy. Um, and he's like, "Yeah, so uh, so I need to know the schedule." I'm like, "Well, we're shooting in like a week and a half." He's like, "Ooh, yeah, I gotta see if I gotta see if someone can take my uh, take my spot." I'm like, "Okay." Oh, no. And he's like, uh, "So." Do you think that there's any chance that I'll be able to kind of go back and forth? I'm like you're you're From in Seattle, Serbia. we're in Serbia. Serbia. Like, what yeah. what is so pressing? He's like well, I just opened up this business of uh, Hawaiian burgers, and uh, <laughs> oh, that's what no. that what was. That's what was sizzling she in the was background. At the burger joint. He, was he was at the, at the burger, burger joint. joint at that point, oh, flipping that burgers. and I'm like, you know what? Uh, I don't think this is going to work oh, out. Like, you know uh, work oh, out. It wasn't because of the burgers, because yeah, you know, sure. in actuality, they sounded great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna have to look for this place. Yeah, I'm it, gonna go to that. There was Seattle. something about him that just he seemed almost whimsical with his approach too. So I right. just You're like, got somebody hardcore. Exactly. So lo and behold. Hiroyuki came came up and he had just finished one movie and he had been known for doing a ton of Yakuza films. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's perfect. That's I you know, know is the that's, that's, yeah, yeah. He is the paradigm of exactly what I'm looking for. Now, he doesn't have many lines and a lot of them were in Japanese but he does speak a fair amount of English and also he does um, he does speak on the phone a lot. Like, his character is kind of over overarching throughout the whole film but mostly on the phone and then we, spoiler alert, we kind of Reveal him at the end in a beautiful shot, so that you just go like, "Ooh, yeah, (laughs) 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 Psycho." So the rumor, again, let me just remind you that this is a rumor. The rumor has it that when we uh, when he came and everybody was very excited, uh, then he started doing his lines, and we were like, like we were told, and, and I had done Skype interviews with him, where he's like, "Oh, my English is great." Right. Uh, well, he, he said that to you? Uh, well, no, the emails did. Oh, I see. And yeah. then I finally got on Skype, and they, it was pretty good, but the answers were very short. Um, so, and and it was just one of those, like, th- Wednesday night at 2 o'clock in the morning Skype, and then I have to be up at 6 in the morning. I'm like, right. you're great. We we'll love, right. love it. I love it. Right. Yeah. Who so, are you uh, again? <laughs> so Hideyuki-san shows up, and, he, and he's awesome, and then um, we start doing the lines, and it was kind of clear that we there was something missing you know and again it's it's not it wasn't his fault at all like it was everything was behind his eyes but the voice just wasn't matching to mm-hmm. that you know and it was just a the f- pure fact like when you can't get behind the intention of your lines if you're just saying something phonetically a mm-hmm. lot of times it just becomes flat you like vigo
1: the carpathian and ghostbusters too
3: sadly true there you go very sadly but true yeah Which is why he's much better in Die Hard because he's Mm -hmm. he's actually speaking in a foreign language. language. He's a much better terrorist than he is a Carpathian (laughs) god. Probably more (laughs) sober in Die Hard than in True, having read those stories Uh as well. Uh Um, So anyway, so it was one of those situations where we all just looked at each other and went, oh shit, what are we going to do?
1: No fuck yes right there.
3: No, there was no fuck yes on that that day. So we got back and we thought, okay, maybe what we can do is we could at least um, re-record him, give him time to be able to um, sort his shit out. J- just, you know, just practice. That's all. It takes practice and, and rehearsing. And then when we did it, and he did, he fucking, he really killed himself to try to do it. Again, it just wasn't hitting. So, what did we do? Well, allegedly. what I've heard. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. I, uh, I called up uh, my confidant, Bear McCreary, because uh, he was doing the score. And, uh, and I told him it's the actually situation. how Joe and I first met. That's how that's oh, how we Joe, first met at yeah, one uh, of the parties.
2: In, in, in films that uh, Joe has directed, he directed my favorite sequence of a film called Chillerama, hmm. um, and uh, Bear and uh, Brendan, uh, Bear's brother.
0: Brendan's uh, well, in it. He's the Brendan, star. Brendan's in it. Yeah, yeah, he's you know, and I wish and he would do awesome. more because he's
2: great. He's awesome. I know he doesn't he doesn't feel like he has the confidence to do he that because he's a you know musician first, but he should be acting more. Um, and they shot a music video for that in our space downtown, uh, and, and Joe was there. Yeah, that's and, where I yeah. first met you. <coughs> that's <coughs> you where you first met her. Her.
3: That's right. Oh, so, that's so, love, so the love rumor love. goes, because I've, so, I've never heard this rumor. Okay, yeah, wow. Well, <coughs> the rumor has it that we needed to do something about this. This was our bad guy. This was our lead, you know, nemesis. And if he doesn't have the strength and he doesn't have the command, especially in the voice, like any time that we showed it and you know, you'd have most of the movie where Salma's talking to the, the you know, the the bad guy and it doesn't have that, that weight to it, that mm. sense of menace and sinister sinisterness. Yes, I guess. I'll take yes. it. Yes, sinistry. Done. Sinistry. Sinestro. Oh, yes. Yeah. It does if it doesn't have that sinestro, yeah. that <laughs> sinestry uh, then then it's it's you're not gonna you're not gonna feel there's any threat. So I talked to Bear and Bear's like, You know who you should talk to? And this is where things get hazy, because then suddenly I kept hearing these things about how Yuri uh, had done similar work like that, and maybe this would be something that he could help us out on. So there was uh, speculation. There, the, actually, I think I saw it on TMZ once that, mm-hmm. uh, there were, mm-hmm. uh, that Yuri came into the oh, studio. Oh, I have heard about this. Yeah, okay. Yuri came okay. into the studio. And uh, and you know he had seen the movie and, and we watched the scenes and in literally ten minutes that character supposedly uh-huh. went from more of a foil to a complete formidable force uh. because of the vocal change. Right. And again, like this is no detriment at all to to Mr. Watanabe. No, he's Some, a God. You know he was amazing in it. But then, but. And wow, what a great segue into the Mad Max universe. Uh-huh. Mad Max himself was redubbed, you know. That's right. In the past. And for years, no one knew. And no one had any idea that that wasn't Mel Gibson's voice. They were just taken up with everything around that voice. And you just kind of, you don't think about it. You don't register it. And I would say that maybe once in the time since that alleged recording. Mm-hmm. Up until now, and then there is a very political reason why that is a rumor and not fact. You know, enough Um, said. For sure, no, no, I know. But like for the audience, for both those guys uh, or all three (laughs) of them, you know, it's one of those things where you know, like unions get involved, and 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 to a degree, feelings I could see being hurt. You know, sure, um, honor. And and again, exactly. You know, it's it's something that was I had to look past the whatever feelings I was having towards like my friends or colleagues that I've had, you know, relationships that I've had. And I have to think like, I have to in the end consider what like a novice audience member who's never heard of me or whoever and is just popping this movie on for the first time and we just want them to go away. To, you know, be swept up by the story and not think about the rest of their lives Mm -hmm. and not be on IMDB and checking their phones and shit like that. We just want them to be into the movie if they, for a minute, are thinking more about the process of the movie than the movie itself, or it's like, well, Joe, you know, didn't, he had a relationship with that actor and didn't want to screw things up, so that's why that's like that, you know? Yeah. It's it's one of those weird things about when you're a filmmaker where you, things that, that completely dictate how a movie is made are things that you can never, like, explain to the audience why that situation was like that. Like, a common joke that I've always had is, there will never be an award for um, best made day on a movie production. Right. You can right. Ne- you, n- right. No one ever watches yeah. a movie and goes, "They really made their day that one." Yeah. You know, it's like you know they went over. You know they went over about three hours. Totally worth it. You yeah. Know? yeah. No one ever considers that. But those are things that will completely dictate your creative process. You know, like we've been on sets before, and like as a director, there is nothing more dreaded than. When the first AD or somebody comes over during lunch and they just kind of tap their phone or they yeah. tap their watch and they go like, how are we going to make this day? Whether it's because we have to leave tomorrow or we lose this actor or whatever. Or if it's just mm-hmm. to save a buck and we don't want to extend our days. You now have to, that grand steadicam shot that you had planned at the end of the day where the steadicam guy gets on a cherry picker and goes through a wall and all that shit. Yeah, guess what? That's also <laughs> now, That's now going to be a shot of a guy against a wall. Uh-huh just because yes, there's a great head. shot
2: like that at the end of Everly and you should get for it. No, There's a there's a great <laughs> but, tracking but, shot at the end of Yeah. But that
3: was that was something that I had baked into the movie from the beginning and I had to keep saying like, well we can't cut that because it I have to do this and that. So right. I it was almost like I sabotaged that shot so that it would be in there. Sorry producers who were listening to this. Um, so that at the end they were just kind of like well, we can't, we gotta do this shot because if we don't, we don't have a last shot in the movie. Right, you know like, yes. and I and, and I that happened to me on Nights of Bad Aston where I didn't kind of fail-safe myself on certain story things. So in the end, they were just like, you know what we can do to, to solve this problem? Did you ever see Animal House? Just cut to fucking freeze frames and cards. Yeah, Gunther now works at a medieval times. There, arc right. solved, you know? Yeah, right. That's, that's, uh, that's one way of doing it. But it, there's other ways that you can do it where... It, it's intricate and still you sit there and like well, when you watch Fury Road and you sit there and go just a shot, like just a shot of the camera going like up to Tom Hardy's face from outside into the, the cab that likely could have taken all fucking day. Yeah. You know, and when you are George Miller and you can shoot 400 to hours of to just keep <laughs> pushing stuff and you're not locked into such a strict schedule because that schedule is now going to create your creative process it's going to manipulate that creative process and it's tough so you know in the end I had to think what was the best for the movie and I, I needed that to work so you know thankfully there's this crazy rumor that Yuri did that and uh you know <laughs> so again but that's that's the beauty of it it was like how do we credit Yuri without really crediting Yuri and I went Wait a second. I have this old. Technically, mm-hmm. he would be like. I remember the moment I thought of it. And I just went, "Oh my god, I'm a fucking genius!" <laughs> now it feels great. Now it's perfect. Oh, I remember awesome. when you came in. I go, "You're going to be a fake shimp. and and there's very few people that would get that. No, that's not true. The, the, the world has become geeky. Sure, but, sure, but you know, there's still that moment. There are very few where you people go, who would
2: appreciate it. I think as much as I do. Few I yeah, yeah. people
3: would appreciate it. And I know that he would have. And when when I told him, I remember the. the there was that spark again. There was that moment where you go, there is something that I can contribute to this movie that is going to make me smile when I watch it, and hopefully, hopefully, it will make other people smile Great. as well. I mean, I think we're digging into this a little bit
1: already, but I think one of the things got me excited. Sorry,
3: my God, what a diatribe! No, Holy no, get I,
1: it. you this know, I'm here for I, yeah. just, If there's one thing this podcast is known for, if it's known for anything, it is meandering conversations about non Mad Max related factoids. Right. And our listeners do. love it. Yeah, that's the most angry tweets we get. Stop talking about but stuff bullshit. stuff that's not Mad Max. Yeah. Um, but Sorry, what, guys. Oh, no, please. <laughs> please. You guys listen. You guys enjoy it. Um, the article I thought that you wrote was as much Yuri Travis fanboy mm-hmm. about Mad Max as much as it was uh, intricacies of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And it was so interesting to have a filmmaker's perspective on the film because we know movies who've been on sets. who've been around, but you've done the thing a lot. So it's helpful, I think, to talk about Mad Max in terms of, even as the stuff you're saying in the kitchen about color timing, which we have passing knowledge of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you're saying like how they shot it and stuff. It was really, really fascinating. So let's talk about that for a second yeah. in terms of the of the mechanics of the filmmaking, which we because, haven't surprisingly the, done too much of Right. On well, podcast. we just
2: introduced it in the last, in the last, uh, I mean, even the mechanics it would be filmmaking. the episode before this yeah, last one. I was, yeah.
3: I was listening to the last episode and you guys started talking about now, you know, we've gotten past the, the desert. We've gotten, well, to, to a degree, but now mm-hmm. we're in night. Yeah. And first off, one of the hardest things, I grew up and movies were my life, you know, like they were everything from the time that I went to, went to sleep at night to the time I woke up in the morning, and all the time in between, I dreamed it, I lived it, everything was movies. So I would watch movies first, more just in pure pleasure, but then when you start reading Fangoria and Starlog sure. and Sin of Fantastique, and you start peeling the onion away and start seeing like, oh my God, that's, that's latex and rubber and silk stockings and, you know, dropping milk into aquariums and right. that's how you make clouds and shit. Right. When you start peeling those layers back, you start to feel like I'm part of the cool kid club where right. it's like... Right, and to one much to the annoyance of everyone around us when we're like, Yeah. that's an aquarium. <laughs> <laughs> but when you start to make the movies, there is this weird switch that you have that almost betrays your love of movies because you start to not fall into the film as much you start to be jealous like I remember when I was when I was making Nights of Bad Astem and uh I was up in Spokane Washington my wife had flown up for like a week but the primary reason why she flew up was that we would be together when Scott Pilgrim came out and being, the huge, Edgar, right, being yeah. the, the huge Edgar fan that I was and knowing him a little bit like and him kind of giving me a couple, like, little tidbits about, like, oh, yeah, we shot, you know, we rehearsed for, like, six months, and we shot for eight months, and here it is. I had six weeks to prep nights and about five weeks to shoot it, and it was a disaster. Mm-hmm. So when I, when we finally sat down, and, and this was a movie both of us, who are huge fans of both Edgar's and also of, uh, of Brian's comic, we were mm-hmm. like, this is it. This is our geek nirvana. This is our summer movie. Right. And the whole time I watched him I was like... Must be fucking nice to have <laughs> right. fifteen-hour days, yeah. doing two pages a day in six months. I like yeah. it yeah. made me hate the movie, yeah. and that was unfair to me. Yeah. Like that was unfair that I sat there and watched these like intricate fight scenes, and I couldn't like I couldn't move my camera. And you know, if anybody knows, like, there's this huge controversy about Knights of Badass. Them after how guys embezzled money and there was reasons why like I was told I had 5 million 4.5 and I actually only had like a million, million so when I'm sitting there on set going like why can't I have these basic things I just thought I was either not prepared or that you know just life was hell Right. and here it is I'm watching these movies that I love and I was even watching like old movies like American Werewolf in London and Excalibur and you know Conan the Barbarian and Again, watching and going like, how am I ever gonna achieve even a semblance mm. of this scope? So when, you, when you're a filmmaker and you watch a movie, it is so difficult to separate yourself from the process and separate yourself from the business. Like, it's yeah. so hard to go down the street and go see a movie at the Arclight yep. because half the people who were in there didn't get the job.
0: Right. right. So yeah. they're all sitting there,
3: <laughs> or, yeah. or worse, they did get the job. Uh-huh. I saw the day after tomorrow opening night and the guy that sat next to me was bitching about the movie the whole fucking time. <laughs> and I go, "Dude, why don't why do you not like this movie?" He's like, "I don't I don't like this movie. I was the editor." <laughs> I'm like, I'm oh like, "Holy shit." But you know what I mean like it yeah. when you when you are part and parcel with the with the process and also the business, it is so hard for us to still maintain our love for movies yeah and there are few times where and i and i'm always fighting for it i'm always like striving and begging and pleading that like the director will get out of the chair and sit down and watch the movie as just a patron you know Mm -hmm. or not the angry film critic, or which I'm not, but like, or the you know executive who has to think about their bottom line for the next three years and what's trending currently. Right. Yeah. It's like I'm watching a superhero movie, but a superhero movie is going to be you know big three years from now. It's shit like that. Yeah. And you're not watching the movie. Yeah. When I saw Mad Max at the Chinese 3D IMAX, I I like I was like I'm going <laughs> all, all in. in. I like give me every. Single variant that you could possibly give me and shove it in front of my face, and to back up a second, like I, I had been a George Miller fan s- since I was born, you know, I, and the first thing I saw was *Twilight Zone* the movie, and went, who the fuck is this guy? And mm. then saw *Road Warrior*, and then my and, and then c- subsequently he always challenged me as a, as an audience member with like *Lorenzo's Oil* and *Babe* and um, Witches of Eastwick you know like he was just constantly doing everything that you want to do as a filmmaker where you're not doing the same thing yet you excel uh, like a great amount at the things that you are great in and we Mm. all knew that he was the master of the post-apocalyptic movie Mm. and he was a master of the action scene and you know this kind of wry Australian sense of sense of humor so I, I went in with a lot of expectation and baggage for Mad Max to the point where like I was cutting commercials at Esquire for Mad Max. I even told them, like, in between jobs, like in between movies, you need a job. So I was, um, I was making commercials at Esquire and uh, when the bid came in, they're like, oh, we have these like things for Mad Max. I'm doing them. <laughs> right, right, right. I, and, and and I don't, I don't even, I'm not even an editor there and I was like, fuck it, I'm cutting them. I don't give a shit. You know, Like, give me the footage and I'll do it myself. My level of expectation for this movie was as high as it could possibly get. Yep. And when I walked out two hours later, despite the fact that I didn't think the 3D with the laser was yep. optimal, you kind of need the grain a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like it was almost too crisp, crisp yeah. for me. I saw it again at the, at the dome and in just regular film 3D, and it looked so much better. Um, I... I I felt like everything that I was going through and every bullshit thing in my life was gone even though I'm watching this fucking disparate post-apocalyptic film that it you know does have a hopeful ending but it's still kind of going get ready for this shit fucked you up, know, yeah. shit's fucked up and at that point I was at a bad point in my life too um, it, it it everything went away and I remembered what it was like to find joy in watching a movie because it was something that wasn't cynical it it was a complete world where he just had to turn the camera and you would see something you might have never seen before but he treats it in an almost kind of lackadaisical way it's like yeah let it's like right in here it's like if we were in a movie that was set that was made in the 50s and we're in this room and we're like this is the future We'd be kinda of glossing over this huge plasma TV that you have in here because sure. it's just part of our life. Right. Yeah. But if it was a movie back in the fifties about the future, you'd be like, dun dun dun. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah. In most futuristic movies, they make a big deal about those details, you know. Or it's just somebody kind of going like, Look at that production design, fellas. Uh-huh. You know? Yep. Yeah. Here it was just part of the world. You know, that the movie had rules, the movie it was it breathed life. And I was just so inspired by it that the the Talkhouse guys were talking to me about because they, what I like about that site is that the, it's filmmakers or it's artists talking about other artists' work. It's not a review. It's not you know. It's not a, not even like really a think piece because I always feel like think pieces can be like critical. This is just one yeah. filmmaker admiring another filmmaker. Yeah, love and Technique, respect. love and respect, and that's it. And uh, and I and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do that one. And I got home that night, and this was like one o'clock. I got home and and sat down and just started to write. And about 14 hours later, I went to bed and got up again. And that was the article that was... No way! Yeah, that was was the article that came Came out. out. Oh, that's great. Because I was... and, And what was weird was that, again, I wasn't watching the movie and going like, nice edit there, and oh man, that must have been a crazy shot to get. Like, I just took it all in like I was when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. But even back then, I could watch a George, I remember watching Road Warrior and thinking about the cuts and like, oh wow, there's a weird edit like, when he opens the door in the beginning of the movie when that body comes out and there's a very distinct edit in there. I was fucking six and I knew about that (laughs) shit, you know? (laughs) It, it it just becomes part of your language, and that's where you, as a filmmaker, you have to always assume. And I hate when when you're in a in a room or you listen to other producers or executives, and they always go like, ah, the, you got to treat the audience like they're stupid," mm. and like, "No, you got to treat the audience like they are just as smart as you, if not smarter." Mm-hmm. And that's a level of respect that it it. Fuels, no pun. It fuels the filmmaking because when it guzzles, yes. Oh. But it, but like a movie like this with with Mad Max, it's like it it gives you what six or seven lines in the beginning to basically spell out the apocalypse, where most movies would have a slow crawl, sure. right? Sure. Or or fucking Morgan Freeman telling you about right. this very long and diatribe in right. the beginning, and of the then film. they would
2: have every character explain everything that was going on yeah, as and you, you, you went. Don't need it, and you nope. know,
3: like some of the girls sometimes can be devices for exposition, which sure. is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd rather them say it than our heroes who are much better with uh, lack of words and action than, than our linguists. Yeah. Yeah. So let them talk about that stuff. Here, Miller trusts his audience so implicitly that there are moments like the one that we're going to talk about where he doesn't even give us the action scene. He lets the audience fill in this the blanks. This is the first time, yep.
1: and I love this sequence. This yeah. is because of that. There is strange,
3: strangely enough, you know, this is a, this is a, a
1: four minutes like a where you voice?
3: could solid. That was that solid. was right. Everybody
1: really bring it back. It was Ugh. cinematic, and it's and it's it's beautifulness. It was yeah. almost like a
3: Zemeckis Gale movie where I like set it up <laughs> a nice Zemeckis little bit in, in the beginning, and uh, then, and then chip it chip in the end. Right? We're gonna
1: talk about Back to the Future soon. Uh, another one that's gonna be really good. Well, that's one of my favorite movies. You have to do that one next. Oh, I love that Yeah. Anyway, it's not gonna derail. Go on. You're about to say. I was
2: just gonna say that you could you could argue that, you know, action-wise um, or story-wise, you know, very little. It's a very slow moment four minutes in the film. And yet there are some things in here that I've been waiting to talk about since we mm-hmm. started this yeah. podcast. And one of the moments is sort of interrupted
1: right at the end of the four minutes, yeah.
2: which is actually, I think... The first time. I agree. The first. That's happened. I know we've gone and on times. and on.
1: Yeah, one and a half times. I think has right. happened that the four minutes hasn't been a complete cohesive little short film, basically. Yeah. This is one of those times. It actually has a blackout in the middle of In the middle of the That's where minutes, I, I thought like,
3: we were going to end it. Yeah. At that point. I like, oh my god, how perfect can you get? Yeah, yeah. 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 And, then and then we and still minute. had a minute after that. <laughs> and then it kept going, and it it gives us a moment that if you're a Mad Max fan, you just go. Yes, that's yeah. exactly like right. I just needed those eyeballs. I yeah. just needed yeah. six frames of six popping frames of out, popping eyeballs, eyeballs. Yeah. and I'm back into George Miller land.
1: Well you, know? you know, give us the four minutes, but give us like hit us with like what it is and we can dig into Well the
2: four minutes. minutes are they've just they've just, you know, used the tree thing to get over the the bluff and um and as they're about to head off, Max suddenly says he grabs a Gurkha knife and some gasoline <laughs> yeah. and is like, You guys go. I gotta you know Do a thing. I gotta do a thing. Yeah. They're like, well, what if we did he's like, well, you just, you just keep going. Well, do the impression. You know, is it, um, well, well, then you keep going. Yeah, great. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, and then he goes off and they, they take the rig and, and you just see a flash in the background. This, this a is an explosion, or, okay. an explosion, <laughs> right. an explosion. Right. Um, and then they, they wait and somebody comes, you know, and there's there's a brief moment of suspense mm-hmm. where, you know, is it going to be Max? And then and of course it is, you know, yep. but they're prepared for the worst. And she's
3: got her gun out. She's got Furiosa's her gun out. Her Did gun you really out. think it was going to be the Bullet Farmer? No, of course not.
2: Not no once, not that. for
1: one second. But Furiosa's, you yeah. know, she has to be on guard. Yep. Sure, so.
2: exactly. Um... And then he comes in. And he's he's covered and he's got blood, you know, all over his face. And there's that that great line: that, um well, you, you you're okay. You're you're, you're bleeding." And and Fury says, "That's not his blood." Yeah, his blood. Um he's, he's, also, it's so he's also. smug. He's it's, it's, so, it's a yeah. it's a
3: wonderfully smug moment yeah. that that is rarely afforded in any pre-apocalypse or post-apocalypse uh-huh. movie. Correct. Smug does not translate well. Yeah, in the post-apocalypse. but she's like, "That's my
1: guy." Yeah, <laughs> right, this guy. This right, my
3: dude. Um, and he's and also, he, I love it. He walks back,
2: he's covered in like bandoliers of bullets and weapons and, and stuff. And you know where he got it. And what else is he holding that he and gives to Nux? The, oh, and the, the steering wheel. And? Which is, uh, the and boot. the boot. Yeah. Which is. It's come back again now. And, and such a moment, such a tender moment and an interesting connection moment. Because we've gone over the whole boot transfer throughout the, the thing. Oh, I've heard it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and well, like the And like the door. Yeah. Like, the, yeah.
1: The, yeah really everything. Lightless.
3: Yeah. If you if you're a fan of like Robert Zemeckis movies or or even you know Miller to a degree where certain things like in Road Warrior come back around or any again, you really know,
1: like, good screenwriter. that's really what we're talking about it's any solid screenwriting that will do this it will, will take have its, th- yeah
3: like set up and payoff and and it's like little details it's like inanimate objects they're iconography mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. almost like check-in points they're like. They're like save points in a game. Yes, yes. Where where it just reminds you to go, oh, that's right. You know, like I'm still involved in the storytelling. And, And sometimes it can be blatant. Sometimes it's like the door, you'd have to kind of see the movie two or three other times to really realize that that door becomes almost another character. A, that goes yeah. along the ride with him. Yeah, and I love that shit. Like we, we it done... is what makes it is what makes movies for me. Setups
2: and payoffs like that, and and things that can and iconography is yeah. what makes a movie for me. It's I don't like, even care about anything else at that point.
1: It's like a book that lands its metaphors. Like that's something that happens in literature all the time. Like Umberto Eco or those guys. They'll just you realize halfway through the book they're tracking a central metaphor mm-hmm. or multiple central metaphors, and when you start to realize that, you're like motherfucker, because the book working on its own. It's clocking along on its own terms, and then you realize there's all this other layer beneath the surface of central metaphors that are clocking and when someone cares enough to give that attention to that writing, because you know that's not a first draft thing. That is a, I've discovered this along the way, I've gone back, I've honed it, I've made it work, I've put it in the right places. It's a whole other process as a creative. that You can't get to that in a first draft. It doesn't happen that way.
3: I think it's also the fact that it's attributed to how they wrote the script where it was done in the visual boards. Mm. Like when I was watching the movie again, with no problem whatsoever this morning. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll I'll give me an excuse to watch Fury Road, uh, no yeah. problem. Right. So it was like six o'clock in the morning and watching the movie and um and there there's another moment that I noticed um, while watching it when they're in the um when they're getting attacked by the bikers the second time when mm-hmm. they're in that like that long uh like mountainous yeah, thing, they're called yeah. motor goats. So motor when the motor goats are right, right. starting to jump over and Furiosa shoots the one that comes towards her on right. like yeah. on that jump. Now, if you think about the construct of the three shots in that moment, you have the low angle where she's, you know, shooting him in the in the in the air, you have the higher angle looking down at her where she ducks down,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and the bike hits but then it goes to inside the cab where she goes about having a discussion, and in the background you see the bike going yep. off in the uh. back. Right uh. now, again, when you're making a movie and you think about those three shots, those three shots probably took longer than my entire movie took to shoot in Serbia like a couple months ago. Mm. Like the amount of intricacies that come with anything just moving, like moving moving vehicles, and it's not a yeah. green screen. Yeah, shit takes all day, so. You know, the low angle shot, that could have been done non-moving. The high angle shot of her, there is some movement around the periphery of the image, so they prob- were probably moving there. But the shot where you see the guy falling off in the background, it didn't need to be there. Was it part of that plot? No, not at all. Like, they they were moving on to, okay, where where is our next conflict and how do we resolve it? But it's those little tricks that you have in the background, that's what, to me, makes a masterful storyteller. Mm-hmm. Because... Yep your your eye is constantly being engaged and when the when the director or the filmmakers are reminding you even of a previous gag that happened, even if it happens in the background, it it ingratiates you. It makes you feel like you, you lean in more. Exactly. You feel like you're getting mm-hmm. it's more loaded. information. Every
1: scene's loaded, yeah. But it's
3: not waving in front of your face. Yeah. Like yeah. if this yeah. was a Canon movie or a Chuck Norris movie, we would have seen that expo- <laughs> like we would have seen that guy flip. The same exact flip uh-huh. from four different angles yeah. because Golan and Globus were like, we we paid the footage for those four cameras. <laughs> You're going to use every single shot, <laughs> yeah. but it's only one flip over. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Use it all. <laughs> but when we when we grew up, we saw that as visual language. You yeah, know, we just went like, that's a choice. You know, like yeah. when you watch a trauma movie. And since Romeo and Juliet, they started this gag where they would use the same exact shot of a car flipping over in an alleyway, mm. they in- somehow incorporated it into every single film after that. They would get the same goddamn car and set it up just so they can use that shot again. And it became a visual joke for the fans. Yeah. You know, Love But it. those little tip of the hats, they mean so much. And whether it's holding up the boot, which if you don't look closely, you'll miss that the first
1: mm-hmm. two yeah. or three
3: times. Mm. But when you do catch it, you know, yeah, it's a plot point. It moves Nux, you know, storyline forward. It it has that connection with Max, but the audience, like, you can't not smile at those little bits. That's the yeah. thing. This is the this is
1: the metaphor we keep coming back to, and you already used the phrase here, which is. I, the first time I saw it, I you arbitrarily in your brain pick on a couple things to pull on, a couple threads to sort of mm-hmm. yank on, and then you find that those threads hold up, and they reward you for thinking about it. A lot of movies don't do that. Star Wars was an example. Every time I pulled on a thread, the whole sweater fell apart. Mm-hmm. And so for this, I, I kept pulling on threads, and they held up, and I was like, that indicates to me that the whole movie, in fact, would hold up um, to that level of scrutiny, because yeah. it's not 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 because it's not in your face, because it encouraged you, incur, in your words, to lean in. There's all these things that as we've leaned in farther and farther and farther, we've just seen more of this visual language sort of blossoming and stuff it, you wouldn't see the first, you. second, or yeah. third. Yeah. yeah. Because of stuff going on in the background, because it's a complete universe, because all the characters behave as characters would, not in some arbitrarily like directed way to make the plot work. Like yeah. it all sort of re- it holds up to that, which I'm finding is increasingly rare in modern cinema. It's something that should be, of course that's the way stories should work. This is the way a story should work. This is how you do it. Why is it so challenging to other filmmakers? And when we see these these things happen the way they should happen it's just this like orgasmic feeling of Mm -hmm. like
3: oh a story that's told well i have a theory with that whole thing with like what you're saying about how you don't see it in modern filmmaking the you know it, it it breaks my heart thinking about how it's so hard to make movies these days because everyone's stealing them and there's just not a there's not a marketplace for them as much anymore. That you have to, like the only reason why this movie even got made was because of a previous I, IP. Right. You know? Right. George Miller could not have made this standalone movie. God no.
1: For $150 sure. million? No And it way. still took him
3: 15 years. Exactly. Yeah. You know? There, there was a reason why this movie got made and he was smart about it. You mm-hmm. know? He still got to make a movie that stands alone of, amongst some of the greatest films of all time and was in like, was nominated for Oscars. Which is crazy. Right. It's a right. sequel yeah. to a fucking movie that I, like, that was that was a franchise in the 80s that had no right to be there but that's how you make movies and you know when when you talk about like those little details being on the set of a movie like just recently where i was on the script phase when in my head we had you know 30 million dollars and the sky's the limit and i'll have ilm making me buildings and i'll have the best stunt team and you know in the world and i'll have all these amazing actors that are all like five million each that are going to you know, get me to the Cannes Film Festival or to fucking you know, uh, the Comic-Con or whatever. Um, you have these lofty goals. Sure. And then the realities of like, whether it's budget or it's time or, or a combination of the both start to whittle those things down. And some of the first things that go are all those little details that when you're writing down, like, oh, my God, how great would it be if this coffee mug that was talked about in the beginning of the movie Ends up kind of showing up and saving the day at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. right? right? Now, I kind of gave a spoiler away to my new movie Stop in a way, it. but it's those little details that, and, and again, I, and I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but when you are, you know, our, our budget was not nearly what I thought and even just said, it was like one millionth of that. Um, but you still have to make a movie that is going to stand up next to all the other titles like in the marquee yep. or on iTunes or on the shelves if there's even shelves anymore. You still have to kind of, you know, com- compete with those. So, you, you know, so the sense of scope and the sense of, you know, the wow factor, you gotta—you got to put those in there. And this movie was perfect for that. Um, but those little details that we love when we watch movies where... You know, a, a phrase or a, a gesture or a piece of iconography, like a, a coffee mug or something, when it becomes slightly part of the periphery of a storyline and then keeps popping up throughout, mm. like like we were saying before. It's those little things that make you feel rewarded for following the story around. also
1: just attention and time. We watched Two Frame Roger Rabbit again recently. And
3: See, Robert Zemeckis, the loaded. master at it.
1: It's that every everything scene means is something.
3: Loaded. It's, everything I means something. I just keep thinking of Richard Dreyfus like, like, this means something. Yeah. This, means mean, something. Yeah. this means something. This means yeah, something yeah. every single uh, time. Yeah. You know, it
1: was master and it feel it just—it feels like oh, they spent time on this. They mm-hmm. s- they worked through it. Said okay, cool. Here's the story. How do we make every scene better? What can we add to it? What can we add to it? Or in some cases, in some cases, what can we take away yeah. to make the things that we mm-hmm. want to pop pop better? Um, it's just super, super, super. It's great. just those.
3: It's those details that make us enjoy movies more my point is is that due to time being pulled away like when you like the budgets for movies now it's ridiculous like i was just talking to adam green uh last night about it and it's like you think about like 10 years ago and we would balk at the budgets some of the budgets that we would be begging for today Mm -hmm. yep and Mm -hmm. i thought it was the other way it's supposed to be the other way around you know But, but people have figured out a way to streamline the process so much that ultimately you could you could, and I'm not advising this, but you could make a movie for 12, 12 days and twelve dollars, so to yeah. speak. Mm-hmm. But what gets sacrificed? Yeah. And if you look at the like the, the glut of movies that I have are in those budgets these days, it is so much harder as a storyteller to infuse those little details, because all you're trying to do is make your day. Yeah. And that insert shot of the coffee mug, if that's going to take 20 extra minutes, guess what gets let go first? Right. And then, if you're shooting in chronological order, you go, well, fuck, I didn't, I didn't shoot the coffee mug. Well, that detail's gone, and now you've taken a thread of what makes someone love your movie out of the movie. And, and it's a thread that permeates throughout the whole thing. Right. There were things mm-hmm. that happened with, in the new movie where I just went like, Ah shit! I don't have time to get that. Eh. And then, three weeks later, I go, "Why didn't I get that?" Yeah, because right. now I, I have this that. perfect opportunity yeah. that calls back to the moment. It was it was a decision that again, like time based, that you go, "God damn it!" And, and it and it affects my future yeah. because forever. I'll always sit there and go like, "Why didn't I get that shot?" Because now I could have had something else that would have strengthened the story or enriched the or enriched the yeah. character, yeah. and it's all gone. Why? Time and yeah. money, yeah. and 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 that's the problem with yeah. like movies is that the time and the money part is all going bye bye.
1: It's the same thing as like our our not not to get political here, but there's a reason. There's mm-hmm. a growing gap between the one percent and the rest of the people. Is that it's sort of the self reinforcing cycle of like, well, the rich get richer, and so it, while Avengers has unlimited budgets and Star Wars has unlimited budgets this middle ground cinema is becoming worse because we don't have the time or money to make the yeah. movies we want to make if there was a little more attention given to that then all of a sudden it would strengthen the middle class of films so to speak would strengthen because they would yeah. be better yeah. and they yeah. would they would have a bigger audience because they would in fact be doing different things and be better we just went out with a movie for 7 million for the last year and would just now have to do a rewrite to get it down to 3.5 to yeah that's it's just like motherfucker. Like and, and all, all the, the good stuff we have to that lose That you now.
3: love yeah. about that script, just for practical reasons, yeah. you know, for nothing it's, more than I can't. A... I'm sorry, but I can't have a lemur on set, and I really needed a lemur in that dream sequence. Did you read our script? <laughs> <laughs> I'm on script shadow. Yeah, hell on.
1: But it's it's one of those things where it's now a different film. That is, we're going to do our best to make it just as good, but probably it's going to be different ways. It's not the one. it's not that
3: it's a facsimile of the original that's right right like the goal it's it's a copy of a copy of a copy right
1: and the goal of a writer or or a filmmaker i think in that scenario is to say okay i need to not do a cheaper version of the movie i wrote i need to really rethink from from ground Mm -hmm. zero that all of a sudden now you're investing your time for free to do something you don't necessarily but you're also
3: yeah and see that's where filmmaking gets tricky where your original intent is you want to make a, a world building type film that has its own mythology and stuff and then and you go, That's gonna that's gonna cost fifty million and then somebody goes I love your script, here's the money, actually we only have five million.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: And then you have to sit there and you have to make the decision of now do I try to fit fifty million dollars worth of scope and story and storytelling into five million and pray that I can fool the audience enough? and I call in enough favors from friends who do visual effects and, and, and all that stuff that could possibly make the scope feel bigger? Or do I go, well, I have $5 million. Instead of making a $50 million fantasy epic, I might as well make a relationship drama right. with two right. people where I know that I can make that the strongest thing I can get and get the best actors I possibly can. And maybe I'll throw something a little in there that will stoke my flames. But but then that filmmaker who was thinking like Paul, you know, like no, was thinking more like Neil Blomkamp, sure, back right. in the day, maybe, yep, uh, is now been turned into Hal Hartley, yeah, you know. And and it's the same person, but the budget has now it dictated what they do, what the mm-hmm. story is.
1: Converse, we had a great conversation about um, about uh, Toxic Avenger versus Clerks in terms of leaning into the oh budget Oh my God, that
3: is, we got to make that movie happen, right? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> <Is that> right? <laughs> the, I would watch the shit. Of, <laughs> It's not even. Not, not supposed to be here today, bro. <laughs> 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 trying to suck any dicks on your way to the toxic dump. <laughs> 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 Trauma.
1: Well, okay. So uh, two things. We're about an, an hour here. Oh, whatever. God, I'm sorry. Wait, F- no, I'm just, I'm just whatever. checking in. I'm checking in. And, and what, secondly, what, it's hot as
2: fuck. Yeah. Do you do you want to do you want a break shortly? to Delta turn on the AC. Sure. It'll it'll guys. Revive we'll us. be right back. It won't be anything for you. you, know, you know what?
1: we're gonna put in a clip of uh, Mad Max to tide you over right here. We're gonna find one and put it in. Okay. That must be your friend over there. I didn't leave much of him.
0: Must have cut his heart out, eh? Yeah. That's what I meant poor bastard. The Night Rider. That is his name. The Night Rider. The Night Rider. Remember him when you look at the night sky. I will. Take your hat off. Anything you say. Anything I say. What a wonderful philosophy you have. Take him away.
1: (laughs) Baba. Johnny. And we're back. And we're back. Wasn't that clip awesome? It was great. Yuri's worried he's gonna forget to put it in. It (laughs) was so good. Uh, so good. It, we're let's, gonna. We want to keep going all day,
2: but that, you know that one the great clip one. the the one that we talked about with the tires it's, that? Yeah, yeah that was the, that was yeah. the one. really yeah, good one.
1: one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's the one yeah. we put in with the road you guys just heard of the tire road uh, clip um, okay so we're back yeah, it's, it's slightly
2: back. cooler in here it's slightly but only slightly so so let's 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 give it until the oxygen runs out maybe another thirty minutes <laughs> oh, I think it's right, probably perfect. is all the oxygen we have in here um, so back to the you were four you were four minuting. I was I was four finish us up here? Uh we were in there. There, I'd like to to touch on a couple things in those four minutes. One, we, we it's sort of where we spun off was we were talking about um, we don't see that action beat mm-hmm. in a movie that is so full of amazing action sequences. He chooses because it's not like I mean he shot four hundred hours you know of, of footage for this film. He may have shot that scene yeah. where Max goes and you kicks could've. those guys' asses. You totally could have. You know, no idea. He might have. But he chooses so to leave it better. out. It's so much better. And like better. we said, you mm-hmm. get those beats, you get that smug beat, and you get the, you know, the the, the blood on your
3: face. You know, it's not. And I've, I've even heard people that. say that the film is smug at that point. That the the movie essentially does what she does, where it's like, it's a bit of a shrug, and you go, of course, you know, at yeah. this because, where. The the movie and the people in the movie they've only known Max up until the point from when he came around the corner in the truck with the gun. Mm-hmm. You know, right. they just they know him as a blood bag that just kind of went rogue. You yeah. Know? But throughout the course of the twenty minutes between that scene, or thirty minutes if anything, between you know their intro together and where we're at at this point, you Competent. can you can tell that the characters are used to this at this point. Like yeah. they've set it up, but the movie has. Over 30 years of how, of badassery, that that character, whether it was played by you know Mel Gibson or if now it's Tom Hardy, you throw you drop a character into a situation and you can kind of walk away from it knowing that it's going to work itself out yeah. usually in Max's favor. Yeah. You know? The joy the the decision there is does the joy
1: of that gag override the joy of seeing him do it? And I would say in this case it's yes. Yeah. I it's think the so movie pleasure. sets
3: it up as so too because. Yeah. We've we've set the stakes. We've just given the audience, arguably, some of the best action stuff that they've seen in the last thirty or forty years, yeah. and a barrage of it, a plethora of, yeah. a, of action, not just excellence. a scene that rates. It's a masterclass. Yeah. The whole yeah. yeah. Up until that point, we've just been like, there, there is something to attribute to like pace when it comes to allowing the audience to breathe a little bit, and you know, again, watching the movie especially knowing kind of where we were going to land in the discussion today, a lot of people don't talk about this stuff. They always talk about the, the op- you know, the the kind of the first act action scene, and they talk about the last act, action scene. And very rarely will you ever get the day for night stuff discussed because it do, it's not as exciting, mm-hmm. you know. But in the last episode you guys did that I'm sure you banked at this point when, you know, you have the moment where... Um, Furiosa shoots the gun, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and they're counting down the bullets. And it's like, that is a perfect example of craftsmanship when it comes to filmmaking because you needed to have all those little ingredients of like, you know, the wives knowing who Max is and Furiosa knowing who Max is and Max knowing who Furiosa is and all this delicate character play that both the characters and the movie has to do where by the time you do get to the moment where she says, I'll do it, Mm -hmm. both the audience is rooting for her and Max is just kind of going, well, it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Making him a smart person, mm-hmm. you know, and also making us go like, fuck yeah, it's, everybody's yeah. a badass. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, but it's this whole section, you I know. I think I said that, that in the theater when that happened. Yeah. Fuck Who yeah. did it, you yeah. know. Uh, I'm sure George Miller said fuck yeah at the end yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. yeah <laughs> fuck yeah. I can't do But, it. you know, this is one of the slower <laughs> moments of the movie because, you know, like, this section of the movie would normally be the final act in any other movie. Right. Yeah. It just happens to be the slowest part in a Mad Max movie where everything else is the greatest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's, it's easy to classify this as like, oh, well, I was gonna go take a piss or I'm gonna go get some popcorn or whatever. But some of the best character work is on full display in all this and it's all without you even knowing Character setups for later on, and character relationships that are building, so that all those stakes are going to build so much that, like, if all of this stuff in this section here, from whether they're pulling the tree out and Nux is helping, but just that character himself, he's Miller is planting the seeds that Nux ultimately has the greatest arc in the entire film, without sure, a doubt. Absolutely, you know, to go from one of um, you know a Morton Joe's drivers who could have just been another cg body flying off into the distance at the end of the first mm. act to ending up being one of the big heroes in the film and ultimately the in the mythology the yeah. he is the heart yeah. and ultimately he's setting you know nux up to be who we as the audience always likes to like anchor in all the mad max movies when it comes to like a little kid at the end of Road Warrior, you have the feral kid. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you have all the little kids. You know, Thunder at the Dome, end Thunder of Thunderdome. Yeah. For me, like it's not really Furiosa at the end of Fury Road, but it's more Nux, where we needed to watch someone really have this true kind of arc, whether it's going from being mm-hmm. feral to, you know, knowing or a bad right. guy to a good guy. If you took all these scenes out, you would never have the emotional weight that you want for those characters when it, you know, when we get to the final act. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's
2: craftsmanship. It's
3: pure craftsmanship, and it's stuff that normally would get cut out of a movie in a lot of cases. And yeah. like I'm get, I remember hearing rumors about how before right right up until the first preview of this movie, Warner Brothers was terrified. They had no, they really didn't know what they had on their hands, and they and it wasn't until the Comic Con trailer that they first went. Ooh, there might be something here. Yeah. And then it just got, it got better and better. But right up until the release, they, they were not, um, they were nervous. They were very nervous yeah. about it. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, you look at the box office numbers, and you look at the, the, the awards and all the, the accolades and you go, how could you be scared of that? Yeah. But as an executive in a Warner Brothers office and they're, and they're supposed to be giving notes to George Miller, <laughs> almost everything in any of these scenes would be expendable yeah in yeah. a studio paradigm yep. and the fact that they're not shows that there's an, a tremendous amount of respect for the filmmaker between the studio and warner brothers has always been known as being studio for like uh, filmmaker friendly more than others mm-hmm. um which if you've seen zack snyder output in the last couple of years maybe yep. they should uh, be we'll a little with, more hands-on yeah. possibly yeah. i love look i love zack snyder and i love sure. his movies but like the last two ones it, it felt like he kind of went off the rails a little bit. Really? You know, hopefully that gets yeah. changed back. But yeah. with I'd love to see him make a small movie. Oh, of course. You know, I'd love to. When when you when you consider that 300 is his small movie. No, right. Dawn, Dawn of the or, Dead, well, would Dawn be of Dead would be a, small his small movie. movie, which I thought I was great. Lo- I, 300 I,
2: was still his small movie, honestly. Yeah, it, I mean yeah. with with what he did, how he
3: did it. And 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 you look at the you look at the scope of those movies of especially of 300 when you have the war scenes and you have those expansive shots and when the audience watches them and they know we know that some guy in a corner office right. or, or in the basement of some visual effects company is actually the storyteller in that moment, mm-hmm. You know yeah. whether it's, it's been storyboarded or animatic or whatever. But the magic is really happening on a computer, whereas a lot of times, especially in, in Fury Road, but there's, some, there's still some digital trickery, but even still, when you're watching this stuff happening in real time, there is a bigger appreciation for anything that happens on frame, Mm. in the frame. So by the time you've gotten to, you know, this four minutes right here, every little thing feels so precious and so deliberate. Because you know it's all intentional. Deliberate's the exact word. And that's the thing that we've taken for granted now. Like, I saw Ghostbusters last night, and there's so much texture in that movie. There's so many things flying around. There's so many, like, you know, 3D effects and all these visual effects of, like, swirls and... Goop and all that stuff in the frame, but it happens so much and it just hits you over the head that you don't feel like there's any weight to that texture. Can I ask you one question about sure. Ghostbusters? Uh, what's better, Ghostbusters or Mad Max Fury Road? <laughs> so, about Mad Max Fury Road, uh, really, you're even going to ask that question? No. Fuck you. No, of course. no like, that I is dare that you is <laughs> Um, I held a straight there, face for a while that, was, that, did, was, good. that, that was, was good that was good for, um, a, for a split second I'm just like you
2: gotta fucking there, 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 there are two things I want to make sure that we sneak in uh, before uh, we wrap this up in a couple of days um, and shut up have, I told you no I I told you I was I'm gonna am not long-winded. complaining yeah, yeah. I would spend at least a couple of days in here You in here with you guys if we had AC if, if yes, we had AC if we had true. better AC we should that's just true. not do guest episodes during the summer anymore yeah no you're not no I'm you're, you're only doing this for me? What? No, 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 no but, but the oh, okay. AC is just not cutting it. I mean, oh, okay. um, uh, I want to talk, because we, we touched on a little bit in the last episode, but you have a, a deeper uh, reservoir of knowledge about telecine. And and sort of the look. Oh, was that this, the French version? Telosine. Telosine. T- 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 um, um, multi- yeah, the, 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 the multi- look. The look of this. And then I want to get on to, And I know it's interrupted at the end of this, but one of one of it's it's a huge point for me. I've been waiting for the entire podcast. Yeah. The conversation between Max and Furious at the end. I want to. Same. Touch, and yep.
1: before that, I have three things I want to cover. Wow. The, okay. It, well, before that happens temporarily, so let's. let's so sixty get, seconds. It, sixty seconds of Telosine.
3: All right. The digital intermediate process, Telecine, all that stuff. You know where you can really augment the, the look of the film. This used to be a photochemical process, and now, thanks to computers and scanning every frame, uh, filmmakers have a much grander and wider birth of abilities in terms of what they want to color, what they want to re- recolor. It, it's all, it, it becomes a visual effect in a way. And you you know, a scene like this in particular, like when I was listening to the last episode and you guys were you know kind of not sure about the whole day for night thing, mm-hmm. um, in the in copious research that I've done about this film, which is basically just reading a bunch of blogs and a lot of interviews with George Miller, um, you know, yes, it was day for night, um, and that is, it's. If you know anything about photography and any, anything about film, the more light that you have in your frame and that goes through your lens, the more information that you're putting onto whether it's a you know a pixel or it's a piece of celluloid. You can manipulate the image more with more light and more information than you can if you shot something at night and it's really grainy. Then you have to push it, and then you're just pushing colors where you could be pushing information. Um, For here, Miller is such a master at, to go off of what you were talking about in that episode, about the oranges and the blues, Mm -hmm. right? And how that is something that is in. Like immediately attractive to the eye, you know, and and Miller knows it. It's throughout the entire sure. film. Yeah. You can't not look away. Like mm-hmm. even when you're doing your laundry, you're just like orange and blue. Like <laughs> right. you just can't help it. Um, and in here, you know, when when we have a very long stretch of orange, and now it's almost like we've gone pure blue in a way, mm-hmm. but with fleeting moments of other colors. Now, in the uh, in the truck bed when they're driving along, and Max and Furiosa are completely bathed in blue. Whereas the girls in the back, because of the uh, candle, is burning in a more like um, in a in a in a warmer kind <laughs> of fire hue, that that is impossible to do with lights. There's no way that that can be done yeah. with lights. Yeah. Now, the blue can be added later on easily. The the reds and everything that's all there. All that information is there. And then in the telecine, they they have the most amazing this this device called the Da Vinci, and you can seriously pick out. Someone's eyeglasses, right? That's all the way in the back of a room at a at a boxing match, right? And you could single them out because, especially if you shoot in like 4K or if you're shooting in a very high density resolution, you really can like zoom in all the way and get something that looks pretty good. It's not like uh, watching uh, Blade Runner; it's like enhanced. Right. And then yeah. by the time yeah. it's just it snow at that yeah. point, yeah. but you can change the color of that person's eyeglasses. That tiny little thing. And then it can be replicated as they are moving you know wow, I mean, right, it tracks it, it's it. not it's not as um, hard to do as like rotoscoping back sure. in the day, but the technology has gotten so amazing that filmmakers can use those tools in completely creative ways. Um, the DI or the digital intermediate used to just be just to smooth things out, but you have filmmakers who know how to push the limits of that, and you would have to have shot the movie to be able to play with it in post the way he does. So again, that's someone who's thinking way ahead of the game to shoot something that ultimately will not have the final look until like a month before the just movie's come to gone. storyboards. I mean yeah, they, 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 yeah, like, yeah. like you Exactly. Said, that's how that yeah. that gets
1: done. Is and it is striking. I mean I, that's yeah. if you listen to the episode, I I love that shot so much. Like it's it's I haven't seen it before. It's like it's a thing I haven't seen before. Which shot? Wait, we, the with, when they're in the back holding the lantern and Furiosa and oh, Max yeah. in the front. Except the, the split. Yeah. It's such a simple thing, but <coughs> it's that it's the, there was something that's about George Lucas that he always wanted to give someone something they something they hadn't seen before. Better better or worse, like that right, was his right. that was his goal and this movie's filled of that it's even the attention to detail uh paid to a single driving shot they're just driving who fucking cares but there is such an attempt to do something new with a simple driving shot it's not just that it becomes something much greater which i I fucking love and you're right you can see there there are elements
2: that you see in there that if they had shot that at night they would not you'd never be able to achieve that the the light the light in furiosa's eyes as she's looking yeah. off into the distance would not be there if you had shot that yeah. at night. But because they shot it and then he left that in mm-hmm. and it's striking and it's, it's beautiful. You're and right. And
3: there's and you know, for for any filmmakers out there who are like, oh, that's all you have to do? <laughs> Shit. I'm just gonna Right. There there are certain things that will betray that, like if you have something oh i don't know like the sun in your shot <laughs> right, right. you can't quite say like no that's just a full moon, the mom. moon. Yeah. you know, right. like you can't get away with that there's actually there's more than a few movies that you love like jaws jaws uses a bunch of day for <clears> night <throat> shots and there it's a they're kind of fuck ups you know like where it's the sun that's cresting on the the surface of the water where they're they're kind of assuming it's nighttime but it's night moons don't do that like yeah. like the way that the sun does right. so it but if you look at you know the way that Miller shoots it, there you can't tell. Like that, so it be it truly becomes a choice, not something out of necessity. A lot of times when people use day for night, it's it's more ah we couldn't get the actor in for the night shoot, so right. we gotta shoot it during the day. But yeah. oh, just throw a blue filter on it, it'll be fine. You yeah, know, right? It it's here he, like I was saying before, there was it was complete deliberation on that process, so that when he could come in later on, he would have like. Absolute control of that frame. It's stuff like mm. this. In previous podcasts, we've gotten pushback uh,
1: about assuming that George Miller was intentional and meant all the things that we're pulling from the film. But conversations like these just affirm the idea that, like, there's a lot of thought put into every micro.
3: If you pixel. think about it, no accidents yeah. in this yeah. film, no. See, there's there is a certain degree of truth to the happy accident that happens, where you know. It, but it's it's more organic when it when it comes to yeah. down to acting, you know. Right. Um Whether a tire that flipped <clears throat> over the right way in one of the opening scenes, right. you know, that the one that everyone remembers from the trailer or like or when the war boy jumps you know off after oh, yeah. he, you know he says witness. Mm-hmm. and the way that the explosion actually happens before he hits, it still works. Yeah. you know, but there are certain things that you can you know that you can't control that end up becoming happy accidents or you do them again. But a movie like this, you can't not deny that he probably had a a, a good think about the nub mm. for the steering wheel. Yeah,
0: you know, oh, or certainly. the
3: the <clears throat> fucking gas. You know, the, yeah. the 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 gas acceleration being one of the, the like a shoe measure. Yeah, measurer, yes. you right. Know? So, uh, it's like uh,
2: we've t- we we t- we talked way too uh, long about yeah. that. But, it's but, so good. You,
3: you cannot like. <clears throat> I'll I'll go. I'll debate any motherfucker who listens to this and tries to deny that George Miller had absolute control in the process. Now, when you say that, you there's an almost dictatorship image that comes up. Right. But being a director, it just means that when someone has a question about something, they come to you and then you say like, "No, I want a Duracell, not Everready." Right. You know, why? Well, because I like the way that Duracell's you know, battery it's, looks. It's, it's the copper type as battery. A, well, of course, and it is longer lasting. Um, whereas Energizer it's, it's got the silver and the silver might not really work with the motif yeah. of color I'm trying to go like there ha- if you don't have a say in hopefully everything mm. that's gonna be on screen I don't feel like you're doing your job as a director or yeah, as a yeah. storyteller you know right. but and that's where you have to think about being collaborative because yeah. you know the way that a light is hitting on on that person's face or that little trinket that's in the background that's hanging from the truck yeah. there's a department that is involved in that it didn't just show up there right right so if you have that latitude and you really don't like something that's in there you say something you well know? that's good filmmaking
1: it's we've said this before it's millions of ideas channeled through one voice yes. one vision yeah. and that's the thing that's what you really feel here it feels like mm-hmm. a singularity of vision but we know that this is hundreds of people coming together to make it feel like the singularity yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. of visions because uh, it's it's just George Miller has it on lockdown. Yeah. He has yeah. it in his head.
3: Speaking of which, I, yes, the shoulder pad. I
1: was okay. Good. I can uncross oh, my
2: fingers. That was yeah. that was to remember now, to ask yeah. you about
3: that. You you do recall that the movies came from Australia, yes. right? And that they are driving on the opposite side of the road. Yes, right. Go so on. the reason why he's got that is because when they were driving more as cops back then, they were padded because they were on that side. So, so that pad, so, that shoulder pad is there is for incoming rolling? fire and stuff. Or rolling. Oh, there it is. Yeah. So,
2: you know, you get the high five. You get that the high was, five today. You get the that high was, five today. Wow. So thank you for like, that. No, well, yeah. the reason
3: why it doesn't translate well here, though, is well, because you don't see him don't, in, the, in the car now it's in the other setting. than right. in the opening. You know? Right,
2: right. He says, he talks about being a road warrior, but we don't know, if you've never seen that, you don't know
3: what that yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. that Great. to me, when I saw that shoulder Great. pad, that to me was one of those, like, Easter eggs. It's yeah. like, yeah. that's oh, course, not going to factor into the movie much. But, but we but love Mad Max movies, yeah. and if there isn't one shoulder pad in this movie, I'm going to be a little pissed. Right. So all
1: yeah. the cars yeah. in the film left wheel drive because I know the big rig is. Uh, big no, big because rig. some of them are American made cars. Yeah, because well, the uh, war rig a, a, is. I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. American-made. Um, right. right. American Morten made. Or all and Morton
3: Joe's is left side. Okay, so it just varies mm-hmm. then. Right. The uh, is the the, the, all the, the, the pursuit, bullet, bullet farmer's car, or is that a center? Is that a center drive? It feels like a center. I think. Yeah, and the car that looks like it was in the
1: they're all. Uh, American made it seems like or it's at it. least at least um no because German, Nux German is, because Nux right because Nux from. is driving on the right hand side yeah
2: isn't he? that's true for his pursuit of his uh uh he,
3: that would right, be no, something yeah, I would Nux be is? curious yeah, to right, find Nux Nux out is? about like what was the choice there what were the choices yeah. and you know that the, like looking at all the sketches from the art of Mad Max like <laughs> They picked which cars are which. They, yeah. they they modeled these cars for character. Sure. Yeah. You know? Oh, for sure. So there had to have been a moment where somebody said, like, he's on the left, she's on the right, he's on the right, she's and on here's the left. Why. Yeah. yeah, it means and, something. And here's why. Right. You know? or, or at least have some form of that, right. I think. I'm, uh, I'm
2: the sheriff now. What are the two, what are the two things you wanted to I touch on before? I want to talk quickly
1: about Nux. Um, this is the f- we've touched on this, and I want to dig into it a little more, um, which is his sort of joy and his mm-hmm. exuberance which is in full display in this in this four minute mm-hmm. segment so yeah. I he's so stoked to drive the war rig he's like i haven't done something that shiny before in my whole life That's that shine he said yeah. he
2: said that was show shine yeah
1: shine. so he's like into it like yeah. he's, he's having a great time yeah and what this is and and we've talked about this but i've crystallized it i think which is this is a matter of life and death for furiosa it's a matter of life and death for max it's a matter of life and death for all the wives nux has kind of been dead his whole life and been waiting to die in mm. a good way it's a game to him. It's all a game to him. Well,
3: doesn't... So one of the wives, doesn't, don't they say, like, he's at the end of his half-life? half-life, yeah. Yeah, he's well, a poor war boy at the end of his half-life. But now mm. what... Like, sorry. Yeah. No. What... So when he dies... When he lives, dies, and then lives again, is the living again part considered the... Like, the other of I think of it's his a double half-life?
1: entendre based on radiation because radiation has isotopes have half lives. God, so I okay. think it's a double. It's a double edged sword. Makes that makes sense. Yeah,
3: that's my take. So what on were the movie. What was the name of his friends on his? Yeah, Larry and Barry. That's right. Larry, right. Um, so good. But I love. I, I loved
1: that. That it not just gives the scene more energy and life because one guy's having the fucking time of his life. Yeah. Amidst this chaos, which right. every other action film it gets, it can get a little doom and gloomy because everyone's mm. like, sure. "Oh, gotta get the fuck out of here! This is terrible! Oh, they're shooting at us!" So. There's that happening, but there's this little spark of light in all these scenes because he's so and fucking so. He is so, the light, and it's because death isn't real to him. Yeah. he's, he's mm. always wanted to fucking die. He's right. always known he's about to die, right? And he can't fucking wait to die. Yeah. So it's. I wanted to say that. I think it's beautiful. He does right. really
3: go on a, like a very existential life journey because, yeah, th- I mean, there's there's a couple points in the first the first action scene where he's trying to die, and Max just looks like when's it gonna happen? Mm-hmm. And when both are yeah. both come out of the like like a phoenix out of the ashes yeah they come out of their moment you know in the sand and they're now going to go for furiosa it almost seems like both of them are in this moment of like purgatory where it's like we both were supposed to die yeah, and, now, and yeah in that yeah now another what? shot yeah yeah, you know? and, yeah now and, what and, and where max has to stabilize himself by helping someone else which is the classic george miller paradigm for max movie mm-hmm. uh-huh. it's like okay he's now set off on his path he's been you know the chains have been released and now he's got his thing but what happens to nux and that's why like you look at where he comes from and where he goes by the end of the film and he is the most enriched character and that's why you get a nicholas Hout to play that part yeah where most times i I remember when the movie came out and people went why would he do this movie Like, it seems like such a weird thing for him to do well granted it was three years ago that they shot it, so sure. since then he'd been He's making been become, a, a, a sizable uh, else. actor himself. But it's such a great role. Like, it's, 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 it's such it's, a juicy it's, role. It's, yeah, it's the, the juiciest
1: star. role of the film. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. Easy. Uh, almost inarguably. The, the idea of someone searching for a, a good death, so really searching for a point to life, yeah. Um, I mean, we could do we could do a whole episode that. on just how what a great do. character. The only other is, thing yeah. I wanted to mention, and we don't have to talk about it, I just wanna maybe sidebar it for later, um, is this beautiful metaphor of washing your blood off in mother's milk. Oh man, so oh, gorgeous. Yeah. And the fact when, that when he he asked what it out. is that, that, was, say that was that was one moment
3: where I thought yeah. Keenan Ivory was gonna pop out and be like <laughs> Message hey, yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. It's lovely
1: But the third thing, so that's the second The third thing is she says it's not his blood. The very next scene we see wounds right where the blood was on his scalp, um, which I think we should just talk about and say. Hmm. Because in the scene where we're driving, we see right where is, it, it was, it's wounds on his head. Are they wounds or is it just blood that he didn't wash off? It looks suspiciously like wounds. Okay. I, know, I
3: noticed that in the next, in the next scene. Yeah. I, I, like, I noticed the scars or at yeah. the...
1: It's fresh. It fr- looks like fresh yeah. wounds there. So, yeah, maybe, maybe TBD. I just wanted well, to say that. Well, it might yeah.
3: just be something where she's like, you know what? I'm going to go for effect. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it not
2: that. his blood, and he didn't speak up, even though it was his he's blood. Like, I'm embarrassed. He's, like, yeah.
3: he's like, I'm... Actually, I'm... there's a couple here that are me. Yeah, right. Yeah. i right. to to my milk here. Some I would say
2: like, 30%. Let's just say, let's call it 30%. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But anyway, yeah.
1: so I just wanted to point that out, that I, I don't think uh, she's entirely correct when she says that.
2: Great, great. I love it. I love that you can we can dig down in there and and it works either way.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to point that. Okay, so back to you. So, so so, so for me, that you know, as many times as I've seen the
2: movie, and each time I would wait for this moment because from the very first time I didn't quite. It set my my head spinning about what it means and what she means by that and what what the story is. Um, And every time I wait for it and I listen to and I and I try to get a new take on it to see if I can find out exactly what it is. And it's the moment where they're talking you know, right near the end of this mm. four minutes, and he says, "Have you done this before?" And she says, "Many times." And then it almost seems like there's going to be, and then she's going to say, "In my mind," but this is the this is the day that I finally see. she can't possibly be talking about having stolen the war rig and tried to rescue people. Mm-hmm. You only get one shot at that. Yeah. But what? So what is?
1: What, what, is that? what is your take? What is, what that, is that moment? What
2: is the story? You know, what is? And I love, you know, we've talked about it again and again. I love how much uh, he leaves to, you know, he gives you little tidbits here. Well, it's like Escape from further. New York,
3: where they talk about Cleveland all the time. It's like, oh, I thought you were dead in Cleveland yes. or whatever. Yeah. And you sit there and go, there's a whole other movie. That's a whole other movie. Yeah. That's out there, or at least in the minds of the creators, that they have this other storyline. Yeah. And it's, I'm, I'm a huge subscriber of this. The theater of the mind is going to outweigh any pyrotechnic or any oh, any amazing story time. point or performance that you can ever.
2: Yeah. Every put time on the somebody says, "I can't watch Reservoir Dogs because I hate getting that seeing get that ear get cut off," I smile to myself, knowing that you never get to see the ear or get cut Texas off. You Chainsaw always Master. see it in your mind. Yeah. Texas
3: Chainsaw Massacre yeah. has a drop of blood, but people yeah. consider it the most disgusting see. movie of all time. Yeah. Yeah. You see a girl get. I remember someone debating with me. In line for Texas Chainsaw Massacre a couple years ago, swearing that you see Leatherface like take a chainsaw to someone's vagina, and I'm like, technically that would be part two, but for the purpose (laughs) of our debate, (laughs) which is that's and it doesn't even happen in part two either. But there isn't, but the theater in the mind and everything that the filmmakers concoct to allow us to finish the equation. Like yeah. the scene where the you know where he walks off and goes to kill people you yeah. know and comes back and they're all dead. It's right. like it's all there. It's all implied. You don't need it. And if if you're still if you're still thinking about it and we're still talking about it, you know, a year after it's come out about right. that particular point, mm, right. then he's won because he, we're like that story led to another story leads leads to another story, and then all of us are around a campfire again, just like with the shamans.
1: Yeah, right. And,
3: making our own stories out of those well it addresses yeah. another question
1: that came up with the motor goats before mm-hmm. which is how did she make the deal um right yeah so when this, did she make that deal this yeah. is part of the same thing and i think i think the line in this is uh many times since i started driving the war rig i,
3: See, I thought it said. was a normal commute thing that they had like a path train or something like i that. think
1: that might be part of it i think it might be that or it might but be I, but but, that, but the detour off? is definitely not the detour is definitely oh no not. definitely yeah, yeah. so yeah. exactly
3: so how was there was there something at town? Or was there something at Bullet Town? Or maybe she went to Barter Town. Who knows? Deepul. Yeah. But but does it like Mm. at the same time? And this is something that I hate to say as a filmmaker, but you go. Does it matter? it doesn't you know
1: which is lovely but but i but i do but think it always sets my mind i hate saying it yeah but no but it's no. it, it had but i do think it, it points to the answer to our previous uh podcast question about how did she make the deal did she sneak off how, was it a part of a normal mm. thing and i think this is in this points to an answer it doesn't give you an answer but it points right. to the idea that either she's volunteered for long runs before in order to scope the route and to track it and get ready mm. or she's gone off radar for a second to go pleasure driving and she's been sky on this route for a while. So, you know, there is
3: a sense that oh, now she's man. never she's never Mad made on Pleasure but... Drive. Hey, I <laughs> would drive. see the shit out of that. Right? <laughs> that's should... a, that's a that's an in betweener movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that that's something where you can be like It's the Rogue One of uh it's Mad Max, right? thirty years from now yeah. when Disney buys up the Mad Max Cinematic Mad Max. Universe yeah. and they do Pleasure Drive. Right, or, a, or a Mad Max story. Furiosa comes to Frog Fury,
0: Town. Oh,
3: And yes. then,
2: and then you cross over and go deeper than deep. Deep. Furiosa Daily.
3: Cherry Two Thousand. <laughs> wow. These uh, are,
2: you know, uh, so many, all of these movies that we're referencing, of course, inspired by Road Mad Warrior. Max yeah, yeah. Mad Max. Yeah.
3: When was the last time you saw Cherry Two Thousand? A long time ago. Yeah. Keep it on cable. Okay. On cable. On cable. When, when I you guys was are all done with this, I would hope that you. At we'll least never do an amendment. No, I think you need to do, like, a spin-off of this where you just watch four minutes of other bad, like, apocalypse movies. We're
1: watching the whole things.
3: Well, you know, we've talked about watching movies that were clearly inspired by this I don't universe, think you need and- to delegate four minutes, uh, like, uh, each for every one of those movies. Maybe pick, like, yeah, one. Right. Four right. Okay, okay four one minute? scene. Yeah. Right. If, you seen- you, if you can find four minutes of worthy post-apocalypse movie out there, other that isn't related to okay, Mad good. Max, right. then go for Have it. Have you seen Bellflower? I love Belflip. Okay. But that's a pre apocalypse. But that's a, movie. but
2: it's a pre apocalypse movie where apocalypse happens in the movie and it's apocalypse of the mind and of the but Dude, but, we it's, but it's saw it together all... at the New
3: Beverly. Oh, that's right. That's yeah.
2: weird.
1: Holy shit. Fury doesn't pay attention to anything no, but pay movies. Attention to no. anything. Movies yeah. number one. People That's number two. Right. There
3: was a sensual touch. There, they there, had there the car a, outside. Yeah, they, they had
2: the Mother Medusa
1: outside. They were, they
3: were we handing the, out the matchbooks, the matchbooks. I still got the matchbooks. I still matchbooks. Have oh, it was, Yeah, that, that movie's amazing. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was Evan Gladell, right? Evan Gladell. What's I he going to do
2: next? I can't wait to He's see what he does next. He's
3: producing a movie that is like Kung Fury. Really? I'll send you the link. I I will mangle the title, but I just saw it like last week and I went like, I want it Holy to be a little shit. I want it and to then be a I little to subtler than
2: than Kashmir. It, it is. But, it's okay, a little yeah.
3: more subtle. It's more like um oh god, do you remember the movie that came out a couple of years ago called The BT?
2: Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like Where that. Where they take themselves super serious. Like it's it's a ridiculous when you have it, it's thing, like but they take it really serious. A
3: post-apocalyptic thing. film about Dance Dance Revolution. Yeah. And that's really a thing. And, that that's, really, yeah, so and that's really yeah. that's really a thing. But everybody thing. in the film Everybody's dead serious takes it completely serious. It's got its own language. It was actually um yeah, I mean, the guy the guys who made that um, Brandon Trost. Yeah, has, with the uh, eyepatch. Yeah. Well, that that's Jason Trost. Jason Trost, Sorry, right? His there, brother. This, right, yeah. Right. Right. Is one of the best. Comedy DP's working yeah. today. He's done. Yeah. He's done all of like Seth Rogen's movies and everything. He's been Fuck. around forever. You know? yeah. but, but so there's a small world. Anyway, tangents well, away. Well, well, can we? I know well, we got to wrap this because, because, up. because we're
2: wrapping it up. Um, can we can we say it? Because you just finished a film. I mean, by finished, I mean you're probably still in the thick of it. But you just finished shooting a film. Just finished another shooting one. Movie. yep. Uh, is uh, the title actually the Mayhem Project or is or is right now it's sort hard, of, it's Mayhem or Mayhem yeah. Project Mayhem? Okay, uh, right.
3: Yeah, the, um, the movie's called Mayhem. Mayhem, uh, Best okay. way to describe it right now is the big short meets 28 Days Later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there. Great. I, and I'm, I'm not I sh- love it. shitting at yeah, all. Yeah. Uh, it stars uh, Steven Yeun from The Walking oh, Dead. yes. That guy gets his due. Holy fuck, dude. I love it. Uh, Steven is... And I hear he's super cool. He's oh, super, super nice. Totally down to earth. Like, genuinely a nice guy. Especially when you're in the public eye the way he is right yeah, now. Yeah, like, completely. Sure. But, um... You will, ne- you have never seen that guy like this before. Yes, I've slathered him in blood, so, you know, <laughs> so you've that's seen kind of way. par for Lots course. Of ways, yeah. Oh yeah, Cannot but wait. but uh, and then Samara Weaving, who is was in um, Ash vs. the Evil Dead, she's in McGee's oh. movie called uh, The Babysitter, which was awesome. Uh, she's in that. it, and uh, yeah, it's it's I, I just showed it to a couple people, and the best compliment I got, and I mean this sincerely, is they you go, know, I don't know, what the fuck, to, what genre to call that movie? Cool. You know? I was like, That's, well, what would what, what what would you describe? He's like, well, it's kind of an action thriller, comedy, sci-fi, horror, satire. I'm like, right. So detention, kind of, a little <laughs> I mean dete- a little but, more serious than right, detention. Right, but the way and detention
2: lo- defies every, everything. Everything, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: It's a it's a total bully base. It's a, the basic story is about uh, it's a dangerous virus that um allow, that makes you lose your inhibitions and um it's become a, a pandemic in the world. And while the uh, FCC is trying to create a antibody for it, quarantines are popping up all over the place. Uh, in the meantime, um, in that world, someone just got off uh, for murder. On, like for the first time, someone's actually been uh, cleared for murder while infected. Um, Interesting. It's called Baby. It's a babysitter. babysitter? Uh, no, no, this yeah. one's called Mayhem. Mayhem. Oh, this is. Oh, this is. Uh, oh, this, this is, is yours. No, okay, you switch over? Okay, right, right. Uh, and then the law consulting firm that helped get the guy off gets infected with the virus so just think a bunch of lawyers stuck in a fucking building tearing each other apart great and uh steven plays one of the one of the lawyers who was on the case who uh gets fired in the beginning of the movie then gets infected and says fuck you i'm getting my job back so
1: wow it's it's crazy it's it's cool it's
3: nuts writer Uh,
1: writer, writer, director or just uh
3: i directed this um it was a script that was on the blacklist called uh at the time, it was called Rage. Uh, this guy, Matthias Caruso, wrote it a couple uh-huh. years ago. Is it is
2: it in, in, in tracking back to Clive Barker, which we talked about when you walked in the room? Does it have anything to do with there was a there was a story sort of like I don't know if it was called Rage or if it was called Oh no, no, it was, it's not okay. like that. I, I mean, mean, that's a different kind of inhibitions that were Tigers. lost. No,
3: no, no, um, uh, no. This one, this one's um definitely was, more. Okay, okay.
2: Uh, it's where everybody just starts having sex with everything because of this disease. That well, there's some sex involved. Yeah, good. Yeah, well, I would so I would be disappointed. So if
3: you if if by homage and having sex in your movie means it's a Clive Barker homage, then yes, yes, yes. all Very the way. So. Great film. I, uh, dude, I can go off on Clive Barker for you decades. and I. will do that. Uh, Tell us time.
1: Uh, where people can follow you. What they what? should go look for you now. How they can support you. Tell us that.
3: So uh, right now I'm on Instagram and f- uh, Twitter at at the Joe Lynch um when does this drop two weeks Uh, great so uh yeah i have a podcast called uh yeah i have a podcast called the movie crypt that we talked about before uh it's uh on geek nation it's also on itunes we're doing a 48 hour marathon in two weeks where we're gonna stay up for 48 hours straight uh for uh save the yorkie fund where um people can donate and we're gonna stay up so the motto is uh we're, we're not sleeping so... No, no uh, fuck, what, fuck, what is it? Uh, it was so good. We're not sleeping so you don't have to? No, we're we're so not sleeping can? so they don't get put to sleep or something.
1: Oh, there you go. It, it, yeah. it sounds much better yeah. if you
3: go to our site. Yeah. What's the um, site? Uh, Geeknation.com slash The Movie Crypt. Um, it's on iTunes as well, but yeah, we're going to have guests. We're doing a live reading of the original draft of The Goonies from Chris Columbus what? that no one has ever heard before. We're gonna have a cast come in and and perform can it. We, it's oh. like uh, you're gonna to have to tune in. Oh, um, I know, I, like I, I know where Geek Nation is. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll you, might we'll to, you might have we'll to. You might have to. Show you I might need you actually. You just show. say um, the word. But we're doing uh, commentary tracks where people can um, watch movies with us, and we're gonna watch. Um, this is gonna be the best thing. We're gonna watch too. Fright Night with Tom Holland. Tom Holland's gonna oh, stop yes. by and watch it with us. Then. <gasps> Uh, okay, this will definitely be announced by then, Candyman with Bernard Rose and Tony Todd are going to come in and just so sit there and watch fun. the movie with us. So the whole point is, it's like, we're just going to hang out and stay up for from Great. Friday, uh, August, 6th, August 5th at 7 o'clock, and we're not going to f- go to sleep until August 7th at 7 o'clock. Um, donations, like we'll have yeah, people yeah, that yeah. hopefully will donate for, it's a good cause. Uh, it's a Save the Yorkie foundation and uh, we have the guests that we're having coming in is going to be insane I'm going to do so. a
2: fundraiser where I raise money by staying up to watch them yeah, stay up yeah. watching money I'll, like I'll do the third out. fundraiser can, you do the third fundraiser yeah. Yeah. great where you're raising funds actually for the first fundraiser
1: oh, it's, it's turning it's big, it's Mobius into script. the human
3: centipede of <laughs> fundraisers <laughs> <in a way. laughs> yeah. well, I can't think uh, so, of a
1: better way to go out than the human yeah. centipede of fundraisers that sums up uh, a lot of what we talk about here I think yeah,
3: but yeah so, so that's going to be in two weeks and then that yeah Mayhem coming out hopefully either at the end of the year or early uh, this wait. year Can't Everly wait. is on Can't Netflix uh, Wrong Turn 2 is still kicking around Fuck I, yeah. the fucking residual checks. checks on that motherfucker yes! is so wonderful uh, and Nights of Badassdom is 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 somewhere. So Yeah, yeah it man. is.
2: Yeah, it is. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so sense. much yeah, for having me waste day, your Saturday. All all that I you didn't it. waste a
1: goddamn thing. This Travis has got one thing. foot out
3: the door. He's just like, get me the fuck away from this well, guy. Only because immediately... he's got another
2: show to do.
1: Yeah, we have a s- scheduled guest to do on the other thing. Oh, it's chaos. Um, okay. Killer. Killer. My name is Harry Lowenthal. My name is Travis Intel. I'm Joe Lynch. And you are awaited.